My name is Josh Rogers. I'm the worship arts pastor here uh, at North Shore. Normally, I have the privilege of being with you guys uh, in a different capacity, right, in, in praying and singing and worship, but I'm privileged and, and humbled uh, to be able to walk through some scripture with you this morning. Um, you know, before we even begin, I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. If you uh, need a Bible, just throw your hand up, and they will get you on. We're going to be in uh, finishing up Ephesians today, talking about walking by praying in the Spirit. Before we dig in, though, um, I know I get to see you. You get to see me. You might see my kids running around. Uh, probably do. Uh, but maybe you haven't seen my whole family. I want to introduce them to you. This is my crew. I love these guys. My partners, my first ministry, my joy. It's my beautiful wife, Courtney. Um, she is helping to co-lead a young mom's group on Monday mornings, and she's serving in uh, student ministry as well. Our oldest, our boy is Judah. He's in second grade here at the academy. Uh, and then Eden up on the left, she's in first grade here at the academy. And then baby Noah, um, she'll be going to ELC in the fall, which is crazy. That happens too fast. But we just have a party all day, every day. We just, a lot of laughs. And I want to give you a glimpse of, of our living room. So we have a little bit of ADD in our home. I'm just going to be honest with you. And uh, we've got this little uh, Nerf, but not Nerf basketball goal. It's got a real rim on one of the doors. And so Judah's dribbling around the room and he's trying to dunk on that thing. And the ball's flying everywhere. Eden's riding through our kitchen with rollerblades, singing a song. Noah's spinning around and dancing in the middle of the room. We probably have a record on. That's a thing we do too. We're trying to talk and then she'll, Noah will decide she wants our attention, and my attention specifically, and she'll go, Dada, Dada, and that's not good enough. There's way too much sound happening, so she'll come over and pull on my arm, and then finally, I don't know uh, if your kids when they were little did this, but she'll come up to my face and grab my cheeks and put her nose right on my nose and say, Dada, which is really cute, but even in prep this week, it got me thinking about the value of attention and who or what has ours. We've been on this journey together uh, for the last couple of months through the book of Ephesians. And, you know, we could do Ephesians anytime. We could do it again in the fall, and it would be profitable. It'd be helpful, right? We would be built up, and it. it would bear fruit. But as I was, I was preparing it and going through the series, I was thinking, Father, why did you, why did you have this for right now? Because I think he has good and intentional and specific plans even for right now with that. And you have to know about our lead pastor, Scott, when he chooses series, when he's guided in those, he's doing that on his knees, waiting for the voice of the Lord to say, what, where, where are you taking us? How, what do you want to speak over us that we can continue to grow to look like you? And so I wonder if one of the reasons why he has us in Ephesians in this season is to recapture this value of attention and who has ours. See, what we give our attention to forms us, it shapes us, and begins to mold our lifestyle, and I believe that we're in a war for our attention. Sean Parker, the first president of Facebook, was quoted in an interview as saying, God only knows what this is doing to our children's brains. The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about, quote, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? Microsoft researcher Linda Stone said, 
of our relationship with media today that continuous partial attention is our new normal. And then I found this study by the crew at Statista. See there at the bottom, more than 900,000 users from ages 16 to 64, and what they found is that as Americans, we average two hours and 14 minutes a day on social media. Now hear me out, I'm not here to be the social media police, I'm not here to say Facebook is bad. What I am here to say though is I think at the very least there's some stiff competition for our attention. The world's actively competing for it. And at least I know in my own life, when social media world events captivate my attention, I know what it produces in me, right? It often produces fear. Shame, comparison, envy, jealousy, judgment. That's not the fruit I want my life to bear. That's not the lifestyle I saw Jesus live. So let's look back over at Ephesians now. The counter to a lifestyle captivated by the world, but a lifestyle captivated by Jesus, where Jesus is the center of our attention. And we've been calling this the worthy walk. So in Ephesians, we, we find we are in Christ, covered in his forgiveness, and blessed with his grace. Because of this, an entirely new lifestyle is now possible because of him. Paul says in chapter 1 that we've been chosen by the Father, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and sealed with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you guys have uh, ever seen any of the Bible Project videos, but I love the way Tim Mackey refers to chapter two in the Bible Project video on Ephesians. He says that God has joined our life to Jesus' resurrection life, brought us back to life, and created us as new human beings in Jesus. We then have the joy of discovering all of the new calling and purposes and tasks that God has set before us. And he hasn't just sent us out Right? He hasn't just sent us out and we can report back dutifully that we checked the box, but he's equipped us. He's empowered us. He's with us and sends his spirit to live in us to empower us for this new lifestyle. Let's zoom in uh, on chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and get this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The fullness of God. He goes on in chapter 4 to talk about us taking off our old humanity, putting on new humanity in Christ through the power of his spirit where we will walk in a manner worthy of our calling in our homes, in our marriages, with our families, in spiritual warfare. And we're going to do that by putting on the full armor of God. But who has our attention in the midst of all that? 
Paul gives us an additional challenge, and this is where we're going to be today. In Ephesians 6.18, he says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Praying at all times in the Spirit. So he's sealing us, he's empowering us, he's equipping us. We're to be at all times praying in him. But who is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? That could most certainly be a whole series in and of itself, and, and maybe that's something uh, that we will do sometime, but today we're just going to do a bit of a brief overview to give us kind of a grid to work from together. Let's go back to a bit of what Jesus has to say about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. In John 14, 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus is telling his disciples that the Father will send another, and the Greek word there used is parakletos. It's translated as advocate. In 1 John, John uses that same word again as a name for Jesus, our advocate. Two things to be noted here is the word another advocate is the word alas. And it's often used as another of the exact same kind. This is a distinction that is important because there's another Greek word that can be used, heteros, which means another of a different kind. So the implication in announcing this other of the exact same kind is that Jesus is distinct from him but otherwise like him. And so he's communicating this to his disciples, right, who have journeyed with him, who have walked with him. And he's now telling them that he's going to go. And I can just begin to imagine what that would feel like, right? You, you dedicate your life. You, 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 I'm following this guy and becoming like him, and now he's leaving. But this is good enough that Jesus then goes on to say, it's good that I go. You know, this is how he was first introducing and explaining who the Holy Spirit was going to be to his disciples. So here's uh, just a couple of basic points for us. Number one, he is God. He is God. And that might seem too simple, but it's important to remember that he's not a function of God or a power that God controls, but he is in fact himself deity. The spirit of God was present at and involved in creation, Genesis 1-2 says. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 2.10 reads, These things God has revealed to us through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. 
John Piper talks about this. He says, the Holy Spirit is God. The person who indwells and leads and purifies is no one less than God, the Holy Spirit. The simple evidence for this is the frequent designation of Spirit of God. The Spirit is of God, not because God created him, but because he shares God's nature and comes forth eternally from God. He is God. Number two, he isn't an entity, but a person. And maybe, maybe this one is, is a little stretching in some areas. I know for me, even in, in prep and kind of walking this out of what this will look like practically on the ground in relationship in life, this, this can still feel stretching. I have a, a slide with a, a list of a bunch of different verses. Feel free to uh, grab a picture of this. I want to encourage you to go get to know him. Read what the scripture says about him. But we'll walk through these. He has a mind. He has a will. He has emotions. He comforts. He speaks. He teaches. He can be made to feel sorrow. He can be insulted. He can be resisted. He can be lied to. I love the way that John Bevere describes this tension when he says, I want to note that in calling the Holy Spirit a person, I'm not calling him human. What I'm simply saying is that he possesses attributes of what we would consider to be personality. The Holy Spirit is deity, not a human being, but we must remember humans were created in God's image, so he's not like us. Rather, we are like him. A.W. Tozer, one of my uh, personal favorites, and man, if you've read, ever read anything from him, it's, it's thick and, and hard to get through, but it's so good. He says, the Holy Spirit is not enthusiasm. He's a person. Put that down in capital letters, he says, that the Holy Spirit is not only a being having another mode of existence, but he is himself a person with all the qualities and powers of personality. He's not matter, but he is substance. The Holy Spirit has will and intelligence and feeling and knowledge and sympathy and ability to love and see and think and hear and speak and desire the same as any person has. Number three, he wants friendship with us. In John 15, 15, this is still kind of that conversation of, of Jesus introducing the Holy Spirit to his disciples. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. He goes on to say in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So this another of the same kind, right? This isn't apples and oranges. This is apples and apples. This another of the same kind is coming and the reason Jesus calls us friends is because he's made known to us all the things from the Father and the Spirit's gonna do the exact same thing. So what kind of relationship do you think he is inviting us into? I don't, I don't think he wants to just exist 
in parallel to us or as some kind of subconscious entity, but as friend. Number four, he is here to help. In John 14, 26, um, and this is, I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. If you've, if you've never seen that, it takes the, the definition of the Greek or the Hebrew and kind of expands it and puts it in parentheses there in the verse. It says, but the comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, standby, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place to represent me and act on my behalf, he will teach you all things, and he will cause you to recall, will remind you of, bring to your remembrance everything I've told you. He's here to help. He's here to guide. He's here to teach and comfort. You know, this is, uh, this is just some Josh spiritual curiosity, um, but I wonder, putting myself in position as, as one of the disciples, you know, um, I, I heard a story once, uh, it's from this book uh, called uh, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, and talks about the Jewishness of Jesus in first century Judaism. It's really cool, and it gives a whole kind of new context to what life would have been like in first century when Jesus was walking there. And they were talking about this of disciples to their rabbi. If the rabbi had a limp, it would not be uncommon for the disciples to walk with the same limp to learn to walk exactly as they did. I think that's fascinating. So you think about these disciples learning to walk in every way that Jesus did, and he's saying, it's good that I go. They've modeled his, their whole lives after this guy. And he's saying, it's good that I go. So Josh's spiritual curiosity here is, I wonder if some of these things that he's naming that the Holy Spirit is going to do is what the disciples had come to depend on Jesus for. Comforter, teacher, guide, friend. So we have a bit of a, a working who is this, who is the Holy Spirit, but what does it mean to be in the Spirit? 1 Corinthians 4.1 says, we should be regarded as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul says in Romans 8, 9, being in the Spirit, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The Spirit of God dwelling in us. Can we allow our, our minds to be stretched a little bit with this today? Right? There's, a, there's, some, there's some mystery to this in his otherness, in his holiness. This is the same spirit from the holy of holies that one man one time of year could get cleaned and rituals upon rituals would put bells on his ankle and tie a rope around it for if he went into the holy of holies and wasn't fully clean, he would drop over dead and the other guys would pull him out. That's the same holy spirit that now calls us home? How does that even work? How do we contain that? How do we steward that? How do we host that? What do we? Isn't it interesting that it's almost too wonderful to comprehend, and yet he can be so easy to ignore? 
So in, invite us, just church family. Let's not get so comfortable with the idea that he's with us that we lose the wonder of how amazing it is. Right? There's a Matt Redman song uh, called Mercy, and he says in, in the bridge, man, never lose the wonder, the wonder of your mercy. May we be found in reverence and awe. The spirit of the living God has chosen us as a home. And then let's play that out a little bit, right? When we wake, he's with us. When we sleep, he's with us. When we eat, he's there. When we talk, he's there. When we go to work, he's there. If we play basketball, he's there. If we rollerblade through the kitchen, he's there. And yet we haven't become robots, right? Like he doesn't, it's, it's not, he comes and takes charge. Remember what we talked about earlier in that list, we can grieve him, we can lie to him, we can be disobedient. It's truly two persons in relationship. So I think that in the spirit is a condition of closeness, of fellowship, and of communion. Not simply a moment or an experience that we can have. Right, so I, I compare that to you know marriage. Certainly there are, are moments of heightened closeness and intimacy, but intimacy between my wife and I is, is, is the fellowship that we have based on the covenant of our relationship. So if he is dwelling in us, we are in him, and that's amazing, what is praying then in the Spirit? I like how John Piper approaches this. When he says praying in the flesh would be praying without faith in the promise that the Holy Spirit will prompt and guide our prayers. Again, praying in the flesh would be praying without faith in the promise that the Holy Spirit will prompt and guide our prayers. And praying in the Spirit means we trust the promise of God's help by the Spirit so that through this faith, the Holy Spirit is supplied and our prayers are moved and guided by the Spirit. Let's look at a couple scriptures. Romans eight twenty six, Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Man, I love the humility this draws me to. Uh, I was telling uh, Scott and Sandy in, in kind of prepping for this and, and going through this, this is the one thing that I think was um, the most transforming, shaping, kind of like cheese grater on my heart, refining. How often do I come into his presence and go, I know, I know, I know, I know what's going on. I know what I need to pray for. I know what he needs here. But says, I don't even know what to pray for as I ought. Lord, let me not be arrogant, but be soft before you. Don't let me get caught up in thinking I know what's going on because I know you. Be my guide. Let me stay in a position of surrender, humbled before you. Paul talks about praying and singing in the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 14, 14. He says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, 
but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So is, is praying in the Spirit praying in tongues? I think there's room for that here. But is that exclusively what he's talking about? No, I don't think so. Not at all. Even there in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I pray with my mind also. And if we continue on in Ephesians 6.18, he gives us some practical requests. It says supplications for all the saints. Right? He asks for prayers for himself. I pray with my mind also and with my spirit. Let's look at a couple of other examples. Acts 15, 25 through 28. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. Catch this. For it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. To the Spirit and to us. Isn't that cool? There's leading of the Spirit. There's partnership. There's agreement in prayer. There's not we're out of control. Something else is, is taking over. There's just like the, in the spirit, there's this partnership. Certainly there's a leading and a guiding, but we have a responsibility to play in that. And finally, I, I think of um, Jesus in John 5 when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Can we lean in on this mystery together today? In the spirit. You know, I think it's easy to equate the mysterious to confusing, scary, or unattainable, right? The unknown can be scary. But what if in this case, it meant other, holy, set apart, beyond comprehension? That the spirit of the living God would dwell in us, call us home, not just stop by, not go to a place that we can come in and have a bunch of rituals to get clean, but call us home permanently. And he doesn't force us to make any decisions, right? He doesn't force a way of thinking, but he invites us to partner with him, partner our thinking with him, partner our prayer with his. So whether in tongues or whether in the mind, we could humbly step before the Spirit, remembering we don't know what to pray for as we ought. Spirit, would you guide our hearts? Let it be your words. 
Paul goes on to say in verse 19, and also for me, the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Are we not more effective prayers with the help and guiding of the Spirit, right? I wanna pray what's on his heart. I don't wanna pray what I can come up with, what I can see with my own, my own understanding. And he gives us some amazing prayers in here, right? These were on his heart 2,000 years ago. He doesn't change, they're still on his heart today. He's equipping our prayer, he's helpful, but then he still speaks. And remember, this particular challenge came in the context of spiritual battle, right? He wants to guide us through that in every moment, in every occasion. So practically, together, how do we begin to step into this with the Spirit? A couple questions come to mind. I want us to just sit in for a second. I'm not gonna give answers to them. They're, they're for you to answer. When you pray, who or what is guiding your prayer. When you pray, who or what is guiding your prayer? What has captivated your attention when you pray? Another way to ask that might be, what's the aim of your heart when you pray? Here's a few practical tips for us. Not just some more things for us to know, but, but to put into practice, right? Just like we've been talking about with this armor. It's one thing to know about it. It's another thing to put it on, and it's a whole other thing yet to know how to use it. I like the way Mike Bickle shares this perspective. He says, as our spirit communes with the spirit in prayer, we may receive faint and subtle impressions from the Lord. These impressions may give us insight into how God wants to touch us or someone else through our prayer. They may be insights about our callings, lives, or areas of brokenness and pain where our hearts need healing. We may receive a mental picture of someone or, or see their pain or discouragement or a need they have. We may receive direction about how to pray for or serve God's plans for other people, cities, nations. Or the Spirit may show us something in our lives, such as the need to humble ourselves to someone or to reach out in relationship. Often the mysteries that the Spirit highlights are practical issues in which He wants to minister to us or through us. So I want to share just a couple practical testimonies from my own life of praying in the Spirit, and then a couple observations that I hope are helpful for us today. So about six or seven years ago, uh, my family was living in Indiana, and this is um, just the season before coming to North Shore, and um, through prayer and talking with folks we trust at the church, we felt like the season that we were at, at, it's called Genesis Church, was coming to an end. And we didn't want that. Um, that was really sad. That was hard. Uh, we didn't know what the next step was, but kind of kept feeling, feeling that prompting, feeling that guiding, feeling that leading. 
to the point that I thought, okay, I got to talk to my lead pastor about this. Um, and, you know, he's going to say, what are you going to do? And I'm still going to say, I don't know. <laughs> so I, I found a spot, and um, I, was, I was, was praying, I was worshiping, I was on my knees, and I'm a, one of these kind of people, so I'm using my hands a lot, and Father, guide me, lead me. I think I'm, I think I'm hearing you, but I don't, I don't have any words. I don't know what to pray for as I ought. Would you guide me? And I saw a picture of a pillar of fire. And you guys might already be way ahead of me in that, but it took me a while to figure out what he was talking about. And so, spent some time sitting with him. Okay, I, I see that. What are you doing? And I'm, oh, of course. The Israelites, and he took me right back into scripture. And so I got to read, how did they follow you? How did they take one step of faith at a time, knowing you would be leading them, not knowing where food was coming from, not knowing where they were fully headed other than the promised land? So we kept praying and talked to the lead pastor, and this is a much longer story, condensed down and got a call from a guy named Pastor Ken, and he said, hey, do you want to move to Seattle? And I said, no, um, but I'll pray about it. And so we did, and the Lord had other plans. And we came out here for an interview, uh, and we were down, this, and this was a setup, man. This was good. We were down at Silver Cloud, right? We pull in, and it's snowing, and the doors are open. There's a ferry coming in. There's mountains. I'm from Indiana, dude. I just see cornfields. I'm like, this is awesome. But the same thing again. I was on my knees praying. I said, Lord, I, I just want to do what you want to do. Jesus, you said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow. Help me. Am I going to move my family all the way across the country? Is this what you have? And he said, John 21. I'm like, okay. So I went to John 21, and what I found is the disciples were fishing all night, right? And they fished all night in the lake, and they put their nets out, and they got nothing. And then they heard the voice say, over the right side, and they pulled up so much that the net was breaking, they couldn't even hold the haul, and it's Peter. So he's like, it's Jesus, and jumps in the water and goes to swim towards him. It's like, okay, I got it. I'm with you. I hear you. That's my, I want to, I want to partner my prayer with you. I don't want to put my net down in the water all night long. Show me, show me where to put it down that multiplication will happen for your glory, for your kingdom. And we ended up here. Praise the Lord. Second story. Uh, one of the things I'd committed to do while my wife was pregnant with our kids is just be a consistent prayer over them. And so I had this little spot in, in my basement um, with this cool chair and a candle and stuff, and uh, I'd spend time praying, because you need all those things to pray. So I'd spend time down there praying, and um, I had a list of things that I, I wanted to uh, pray over my kids, right, that they would be, it, it, was, it was Judah specifically, he would be a godly man. He would hear the voice of the Lord. But again, I don't know what to pray for as I ought. You run out quick. And I'm like, Lord, what's on your heart for this kid? I want to pray what's on your heart, not mine. I want to be an effective prayer. I want to partner with you. I want to abide with you. I want to join in with you. And he said the word joints. And I was like, what does that mean? Is he going to have trouble in high school? I don't know. How, how do we pray for this, and, and I don't even know that Courtney and I prayed for it correctly. I think we were just like, okay, joints, Lord, we agree. Well, over the next couple of days, um, she started hearing popping in her belly, and that's scary anytime you're pregnant, but it was our first kid, and so we were like, all right, call the doctor, and 
So about a week and a half later, she got to the doctor. We're praying, hearing popping, and the doctor says, okay, um, nothing to be alarmed about, but something to pay attention to. The baby has absorbed too much of, of mom's relaxing hormone, and his joints are popping. I said, you have my attention, okay? You have my attention, thank you. Thank you for informing my prayer. Thank you for guiding me. I don't wanna pray in the flesh. I don't wanna pray on my own accord. I wanna pray in the spirit. And he gave me another picture later that maybe someday I'll get to share with you that I get to pray over Judah even to today. So a couple quick observations. Oftentimes, the Spirit, just like Jesus said back in John 14, 26, will lead us to recall the teachings of Jesus, right? He'll lead us back into Scripture. It not only gives us the next step, but informs our prayers and gives us new information we can partner with Him in petitioning for. Other times, though, the Spirit will use common language or pictures or dreams or visions to communicate but it's always meant first and foremost to draw us back into relationship with him, to guide our hearts further into alignment with his. So my prayer for you guys, for us, for our family, is that we'd have soft hearts before the Lord. That in any areas that we need to, we would reawaken to the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we would hunger for his word draw close to him and grow together as we continually to passionately pursue Jesus. Who has your attention? Those are some next steps for us today. You know, I want this to be helpful too, not just information, but where do we go from here? I want to invite you to set aside some time to give the Holy Spirit your attention in prayer and in the word. Maybe even use some of those scriptures I had up earlier. Go see what it says about him. Get to know him. Number two, say yes to his leading in your life. Hear me though, I'm not commanding you to do that. <laughs> I'm inviting you to. And maybe it's, it's wholesale, I've never done that before, I've never even thought about it, I've never considered it, I'm still wrestling with whether he's an entity or a person. But maybe it's, I've said yes in a lot of areas, but I've got one over here that I haven't allowed him to lead, and I need to say yes there. And finally, would you ask him to teach you his voice? Would we be those John 10 followers that hear the voice of our king and follow? Can we stand together? I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come up. Um, I just wanna encourage you, when our prayer team's up here, you don't have to wait for the end of the song. Anytime's a great time. He's still speaking, he's still moving. Come forward and pray. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for the work you did on the cross that allows us to be back in relationship with you the way you intended. I, I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would teach us to be good stewards of that gift, good hosts of that gift. You would teach us to walk, Jesus, like you did, only doing what we see you doing. Would you soften our hearts before you? Would you give us ears to hear you? Would you give us eyes to see you? It's in your name we pray, Jesus.
Amen.